I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. Do you remember your first communion? Maybe what you wore, or the cake, or the, the crowds of people gathered together in the church? A few months ago, I had the chance to go to Mexico City for a visit to Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Tilma of Juan Diego. And on one of our uh, days there at the, the, the city, in the city, we had the chance to go to this beautiful church right before our scheduled mass time at this other church. But this pilgrimage group that was in the church that we were going to have mass in, they were a little delayed. So we wandered across the street to this other church that we hadn't been able to go inside just a couple of days before because it had been closed. Long story short, we arrive at this church and there are no less than 50 kids in white dresses and little suits lined up, ready to process into the church for First Holy Communion. And so as our pilgrimage group stood there kind of waiting for them to go into the church, the Dominican priest who was standing on the steps saw us, 40 of us pilgrims, and we looked like pilgrims standing there. And he, he kind of ushered us over and in broken Spanish, he told me, and, and I say broken Spanish, his Spanish was perfect. My understanding of Spanish is quite broken. So in his broken English and perfect Spanish and in my broken Spanish and pretty decent English, he told me we could come inside. It was going to be a few minutes. So we were able to go into the church and walk around. And as we came out, I got kind of this bird's eye view of all these kids preparing for First Holy Communion in their absolute finest Moms and dads fussing over them, grandmas clumping kids together to snap photos, conversations happening about plans for after mass was finished. It was beautiful. And it was so touching. They were getting their first communion the day before the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And Father explained to me that this was one of the biggest days of the year to receive First Holy Communion, the weekend prior or closest to the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe because of the significance of Guadalupe in Mexican culture. And it was such a cool moment. It brought me back to when I received First Communion and the, the doting over the outfit and the fussing over the cake and the excitement and the joy of feeling like I was now part of something so much bigger than me, the church in this new way. This is the joy of the Eucharist the joy of being a part of the body of Christ in the most significant way that we can be, baptized into the body of Christ and able to receive the blessed sacrament made new each time we quite literally eat Jesus. Mother Teresa is often quoted as saying to priests to celebrate every mass like it's their first mass, their last mass, their only mass. And I think about that when we go to Mass, do we think of it as our first, maybe our last, perhaps the only, as this most profound moment of encounter and joy and excitement? How we get ready for that every Sunday and then how we bring that home every Sunday is really truly, I think, what it means to become a family that's Eucharistic, a person that's Eucharistic, that you don't just leave Mass and oh, okay, that's this thing that I did, that's this Eucharist that I received, and I just go right back into my normal routines, but that there is this whole other dimension of our lives now that is at play because of the great joy of being able to receive Jesus in those moments, to be transformed, that the Eucharist is not that holy object like we keep saying again and again and again, but is this person I encounter, and everything's different as a result of the encounter. 
I want you to think about that first communion of yours. Were you a kid? Are you an adult convert? Have you recently had a child go through a first communion experience? Do we remember that great joy and try to feel it again every single time? The excitement, the wonder, the awe, the innocence when we approach Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and are are changed forever. This whole series talking about the Eucharist of community transformation that can happen, of family transformation that can happen, of new lives that we are called to live because of our encounter with the Blessed Sacrament. I think it's important to maybe kind of drift back for a second to that childhood of yours when you received First Communion or in your conversion when you received Jesus for the first time and try to remember what that was like welcoming Jesus to come reign in your heart in a new way. When we were mapping out the season, I said I'd love to get to chat with a kid who had just received First Communion. And as we were choosing our guests, it just kind of occurred to me, and I'm going to say very providentially because I didn't really know off the top of my head, I had to ask. We wanted to interview Catherine and Scott Whitaker. They have a, a now, by the time you're listening to this, college graduate and a second grader. They've got a lot of things going on in their lives between confirmations and graduations and, and of course, First Communions. And I happened to be going, happily enough, to College Station, not far from where the Whitakers live, the first weekend of May, for an event. So out of the blue, I texted Catherine. I said, hey, we'd love to interview you and your husband for our Avi Explorer series on the Eucharist. But do you have one who's receiving First Communion this year? And she responded while she was in the Holy Land, no less. Yes, she's receiving First Communion on May 6th, which also happens to be her birthday. And of course, because God is good, that was the weekend I was already planning on being about 90 minutes away from her front door. And since Catherine's a friend, I said, how weird would it be if I interviewed Gianna the day that she receives her First Communion? And Catherine replied, I think that would be wonderful. And so I wrapped up this speaking event on May 6th and drove the hour and a half down to Round Rock and sat in Catherine and Scott's living room and got to chat with Gianna Whitaker about her first communion that had happened literally just a few hours before and her second communion, which happened about an hour after we wrapped up our conversation. And I thought we'd kick off this week's episode before you hear from Scott and Catherine about how they've made their heart in their family life centered and rooted in the Eucharist, how they've made that happen with their kids and how Catherine has made that happen in her own life as a convert, what that looks like in the heart of one of their kids who receives, as you're about to hear her say, little tiny Jesus for the first time. Gigi, congratulations. Thank you. What was it like? It was beautiful in the church. It was pretty in the church, yeah. Tell us what you got to do this morning. I got to sit in the pews and I got to... What did you get to do today for the first time? Like like you got to receive Jesus for the first time today for your first communion. What what was that like? What did it feel like? Uh, Good. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. What was your, do you remember what your first reconciliation was like? It was good. It was good. Yeah. Tell me about it. I mean, like, don't 
break the seal of confession or anything, but like, what was that like? When you sent, went when sat to go talk with father, like what, what was that like for you? It was pretty good. And what did he tell you? Did he tell you anything? Uh. Yeah. Do you want to tell me or is it a, is it secret? It's private. It's a secret. After you received first reconciliation, what did you start to do to get ready to receive Jesus for the first time, to get ready for your first communion? Um, we did something at school. We like celebrated my birthday before Saturday. Okay. Did y'all like bake bread? I remember having to bake bread in my, uh, in my first communion preparation. They still do that with second graders these days? Yeah. Did y'all get to taste the host beforehand, like practice? I don't know. I mean, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this morning, what color was your dress? White. It was white. Yeah. What did it look like? Did it have lace? Did it have sleeves or was it sleeveless? It was like the shirt that you were wearing. Oh, it's got sleeves. Okay, it's got sleeves. Did you get to pick it out? Uh, mom did. Your mom, your mom did? Oh, look how pretty. Did you feel like a princess? And did you have a veil? Uh, yeah. So I remember, I remember my first communion. The veil was itchy. What Was it itchy? And then on my wedding day, my veil was itchy. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with veils. Did you like wearing a veil? Uh, yeah. Why do you think it was important that you were wearing white? Did they tell you why your dress was white? No. No, not at all? Can, can I tell you? Yeah. Because of like purity and, and because you're this clean little soul that gets to receive Jesus for the first time. So take me to this morning. You're sitting in the pew and it was Father Tom, right? What did Father Tom talk about? Do you remember? Um, he talked about that he was going to help him, and he said a really funny thing. He said funny stuff? What did he say? He said, I'm strong. He's strong, yeah. Um, but but we were actually pointing at Jesus in the church. Oh, oh, Jesus is strong. Yeah. How is Jesus strong? Because whenever he dies, he comes back um, alive, and then he does the thing all over again. What is that called? Do you know? Um, it starts with an R. Uh, resurrection? Resurrection. Yeah, ding, ding, ding. He resurrects from the dead, yeah, yeah. Before he died, what did he give us? The body of Christ. The body of Christ, yeah. Is that what you received this morning? You got to do this thing that we like, we've done for ages, for centuries. So you were sitting in church this morning, participating in something that we've done for a long, long time. Was was the music really pretty? Yeah. So you get to walk up to receive Jesus for the first time. What was going through your head? Um, I was, I was really excited to... Get the body of Christ and drink wine. And drink wine? Was it good? No. It was nasty. (laughs) It was nasty. I always thought communion wine was pretty good. Ours is really sweet. Did you receive in the hand or did you put Jesus on your tongue? In my hand. So what was that like? You got to hold Jesus. Um, well, the body of Christ was a circle and then we got the whole tiny little Jesus now hand and we got to eat the body of Christ and I was really excited to eat it. Yeah. 
What did it taste like? Um, it tasted like um, tasted like chocolate. It tasted like chocolate. I need to come to mass at your church. Did it taste kind of like like nothing? Like it doesn't taste like crackers or Cheez-Its or popcorn. Did you feel like anything when you ate Jesus for the first time? Happy. Happy? Yeah. So you receive Jesus and you sit back down. What was running through your head then? Um. Maybe I'll ask this. When do you think you're going to get to go back to Mass to say more stuff to Jesus? Um, tonight. Tonight? Get ready, folks. She is going back to Mass as much as she possibly can. All right, Gianna, I have like three quick more questions for you. You think you can answer them for me? Okay, what's your favorite flavor ice cream? Uh, vanilla. Vanilla? Okay, so you know like on the day of your first communion, you get unlimited ice cream. What's your favorite TV show? Bluey. You like Bluey, Gianna? The next episode with Gianna is going to be us breaking down our favorite Bluey episodes. Are you excited to go back to school on Monday and tell all your friends that you received Jesus for the first time? Yeah. What are you going to say? I'm going to say my mom took pictures and she sent them to my teacher. (laughs) Your mom took pictures and she's going to send them to your teacher. I love it. Are you going to tell them, hey, you should come to church with me? Uh, no. (laughs) Gianna, you're great. Where can folks follow you on social media? That's how I end all the other podcasts. Thanks so much for letting me barge into your house, kiddo. Happy First Communion. And now the conversation with Gianna's parents, Scott and Catherine Whitaker, about how to make the Eucharist the heart of our home. Scott, Catherine, or Mr. Whitaker and Catherine Whitaker, it's great to see you guys. Welcome back to Ave Explorers. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Katie. Tommy is always asking, when are we going to Austin? Like, when can we go back to their house for breakfast? We bought a griddle because of you, Scott Whitaker. I want you to know that. Like, we watched you make hash browns and bacon in the same spot and went and bought a griddle the next week because we were so Aww, you so were an influencer moved. you were an influencer in that moment Tommy yeah, you got influenced by, by Mr. Whitaker he did he totally that's how men get influenced not on social media but like going to people's <laughs> houses for breakfast so full disclosure yeah. I know the Whitakers were friends the conversation you just heard with Gianna took place at their kitchen table so I'm so excited that we get to now share with you this interview tell us a little bit about who you guys are where you are what you do you go <laughs> This is so much fun, folks. I just want yeah. you to know. <laughs> married. This is married life right here. No, you 20, go. No, no, you 26 go. 26 years. No, no, okay, please. I'll go. I'll go. Okay. Scott and I have been married for 26 years. We met on a blonde date at Texas A&M University. And we have six children. They are, Gianna's our youngest. So she's eight all the way to senior, well, yeah, senior in college until next week when he graduates. Wow. And he he grew up Catholic. I grew up Protestant, evangelical, and then I converted an hour before our rehearsal dinner. So Scott actually works for the church, for the Diocese of Austin and fundraising, and I do all the other stuff. I think that's probably accurate. I think she covered, I think I would say you do all the other stuff. That's, yes, she does all the other stuff. All the other stuff. That's like most essential. Everything. (laughs) I love it. Catherine, you just kind of teased out my first question. You converted an hour before your rehearsal dinner, there was a process. Like, it wasn't just like, I'm going to be Catholic right now. Like, it just, you know, you were confirmed an hour before. What was that? Okay, I think I want to be Catholic. I think I need to say yes to this Catholic church. I think I need to receive the Eucharist. What was that like for you? Well, so because I have been a member of four different churches, I just thought that you just like, just told the preacher, hey, I want to be Catholic. And you <laughs> came up and they baptized you and then you became Catholic. And Scott was like, actually, there's a whole process to that. So. <laughs> 
Gratefully, the priest that married us, so we were engaged in December and got married in July. So we missed the cutoff, or I did, missed the cutoff for RCIA. So what the priest did is he said, Catherine, promise me that someday you'll go through RCIA. He got permission to do that. He confirmed me. And then I actually didn't go through RCIA until about two years later Mm. with our neighbors. But my first communion was my wedding day. So I still got the white dress. So I received a lot of sacraments that weekend. And then Scott was catechized very well. I mean, he had an amazing teacher. So we used to call it Jeopardy. I would ask him so many questions and he almost always had the answer. Yeah. Scott, what was that like? Did you feel like you were, if I say the wrong thing, she's going to run. If I say the wrong thing, she's not going to convert. Like, was there some pressure there? No, I think uh, I, I think she was in it for the long haul with me. She always talked to me, uh, being a man in uniform and the Corps of Cadets at A&M. And I think that was something that was that sealed uh, that the kept, deal. That, that kept her around a little bit. Jesus but, was a uh, bonus. <laughs> no, I, I, Jesus was. A, I mean, he was yeah, not. Yeah, it was, it was a nice sidebar, right? No, I mean, I think that one of the things that really for us at the end of our time in college was, uh, and we wanted to get married, was raising a family, being together in the same faith tradition was very important to us. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was a, a key moment for us to think about going forward into our own marriage. But yeah, I, I, she's right. I was well catechized by, I grew up in a very small town. So there were four of us in my high school youth group and three were my cousins. So, I mean, we were very <laughs> <Whitaker small. fam. laughs> It just so happened. God was so good. He put a man in our, in, in our life who happened to work at a local factory run that he ran the local factory, but it was a well-formed Catholic and just taught us everything, every moment, kind of pre-apologetics. I mean, this guy was so good. And I point to that still to this day mm. of the intimate relationship with a one-on-one person. And it was it, it certainly allowed me to answer all these questions that Catherine had when we played Catholic Jeopardy at Taco Bell eating, you know, 39-cent tacos. Oh, man, they're like 69 cents now. Golly, like that's... Yeah, how much are they? Now you're dating they're, Yeah, like there's three quarters now. Okay, so I, I want to dig into this a little bit because Catherine... So as a convert coming into the church the day before you're getting married, but having had these conversations with your husband and then preparing to go into RCIA, I think a lot of people sometimes think the biggest hangup for Catholics is Mary or the biggest hangup for Catholics is the saints. But the Eucharist is a very starkly different thing than what a lot of evangelicals believe and talk about. How did you come to an understanding of what the Eucharist is, why, and, you know, the real question, who? Well, I'll be honest. That was actually the easiest teaching for me because I was always annoyed. So we had in our, let's see, I was a part of four churches. Two of them had weekly uh, communion, which was basically like they passed the bread down and then the wine was actually grape juice that we just pulled out. And so it just was passed down like, you know, you're taking a collection. (laughs) And that never sat well with me. Mm. I was like, this feels like pretend like it doesn't feel real. Like I know the Bible story, but it feels like it should mean more. And when I went to my first Catholic mass when I was in college, and I saw communion, I was like, oh, it means something here. Like they're they're serious. And the liturgy is what I fell in love with long before I fell in love with Scott. Well, maybe not long before, maybe just before. Simultaneous. But I was fascinated. Yeah, it's simultaneous. I was fascinated by the liturgy. And mm. I loved that no matter where we went, it was the same prayers, the same process. And so the Eucharist for me, piece of cake for me to believe. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. All the other stuff Mary took is still taking some time, but the Eucharist, I was 100% at the very beginning. And I think it was just because I had been exposed to communion in some sense in a couple of my churches. And at the Catholic Church, it just, it was real. And I was excited about that. Yeah. 
Scott, I'm sure you were excited too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I had, a, again, another great experience growing up in a small town. My pastor was, it was important for him. The moment I was confirmed, he said, you're a Eucharistic minister. Obviously, I think he had other plans for <laughs> me to become a priest eventually someday. <laughs> so he was sad and happy that I came back from college and said, would you please marry us? Uh, <laughs> But he was really big. So that being a Eucharistic minister mm-hmm. and being involved in that process as a 16, 17-year-old in high school and just being given that responsibility, mm-hmm. I think was something that really helped me to really appreciate and understand and embrace the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Yeah. So take us to those early days, early married Whitaker life. You're eventually going to go through RCA, Catherine. You've got this. Okay, I, I love this faith. I love this church. I want to go to mass. This is it. I think it's very easy to say like, oh, yeah, I love the Eucharist. Oh, yeah, I love the church. But like, what does that look like in the lived reality? Every single person right now is thinking of what it looks like in their lived reality. But tell us, like, what did that look like in early married life? You start to welcome babies, second grade to college graduate. So you've got a nice span now. How did you make the Eucharist, this piece of cake thing for you to understand and believe? How did you make it central? Well, I think a lot of it centers around some of our priests. We had, much like Scott was signed up to be a Eucharistic minister, when our new pastor at our brand new parish, we were married two weeks, I think, mm-hmm. when he found out that I was a convert, he said, I want you to be a lector because I know that you love scripture. And so he got me plugged into the church. So I think part of it was community. Mm-hmm. He got us in, in, involved in a young marriage group. So it was much about like, we are not just going to allow you to be on the periphery here. We know that you uh, you love each other, you love the church, so we're going to get you plugged in. And he was very active on doing that. And it it was not just with us, it was with others. And we've sort of noticed that to be a trend with many of our pastors, that they saw people and invited them in to the liturgy and Mm -hmm. invited them into the faith community. So as much as I would like to say that Scott and I are great parents and we have these six kids, we've raised them with a community of other families. You know, we got connected with other families who modeled excellent, faith-filled, holy lives Mm -hmm. that were imperfect, but also real. And our kids were witness to that. So it wasn't just Scott and I forming our kids. It was our faith community doing that. So when it came to sacraments, I mean, when you're the sixth one, you just get drugged to everybody else's sacraments. So I feel like Gianna is maybe the most prepared child we have (laughs) for any of the sacraments. Yeah. Because she keeps asking, when, when, mm. when is it my turn, you know? And so it's really awesome that now she gets to join, join the club yeah. and be a part of a really special thing. So yeah. let's talk anyway, about Katie, that. I think, oh, go ahead, I go think ahead. from the very beginning, it wasn't, but for the grace of God, the Holy Spirit, but the moment we were married, it was a, it was a real decision for us to say, going to mass weekly is mm-hmm. a priority. Mm-hmm. It was the thing at that time. And from the very moment we were married, we we've done. And and I would say, I tell people all the time, I think I could count on one hand in 26 years that we have not been to weekly mass together mm. somewhere in the world, wherever our travels may have taken us. But I think that was so key for us. The second thing is getting engaged in the life and ministry of your parish mm-hmm. is critical. So you don't just become this person who's kind of a consumer Catholic, if you will. We talk, we, you know, we hear that a lot, talk about that but being completely engaged. And I think it makes the Eucharist real. Yeah. It's not just something that you're consuming on Sundays and going about your your, your week, six days else on the week. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely this, like, I don't just go get it, but I receive it. And then that reception allows me to then go be something different in the world. Let's talk about that first communion that you just mentioned, Catherine. And we heard from Gianna, but like, what what did that look like in the early days when you've still got really, really little ones 
all throughout the house and, and your oldest. Let's go back to Will. Like the first, I'm about to walk through a first communion cross. prep. Sorry, it's okay. Well, tell, like, tell me what that's, yeah. there's a huge responsibility that is placed as should be, is placed upon mom and dad in collaboration with the DRE or the CCD program or the Catholic school, whatever that formation looks like. How did you approach it? both with Will at the beginning and now Gianna here at the tail end and, and everyone in between, what does it look like in the Whitaker home when there's a child preparing to receive communion for the first time to really understand what the Eucharist is? Well, I think because my sacraments look different in the church, I was like the super fan. Like I was <laughs> the one that they were always like, please don't take pictures during the thing because I was so excited. Thankfully, we have hired photographers at our <laughs> parish that do that. But I was so excited for them. It's sort of like Maybe the first time that someone walks into St. Peter's, and and if you've seen it before, instead of looking at St. Peter's, you turn around to see their reaction. And so with sacraments, at least for me and my children were experiencing, it was very much like, I am maybe more excited for you in this moment because I know how much grace comes with that sacrament. And so for Will, I mean, I think we were just so, we wanted to do it right, Katie, like we didn't mm-hmm. want to mess it up. Not that there's a way that you can mess it up, but... <laughs> I think we were just so excited to have a kid who was old enough and we had all, he he had all of his little friends with him and it was so joyful. And I remember thinking, I hope that we never lose this. Mm. And I can, Scott can attest, I still cry at every sacrament of anyone's child because I just love the grace that comes along with it. And I know what it means that even though you may not fully know in the moment what that grace feels like, we've seen a longer game and I know what it means on the other end. So. I was I was definitely the one crying, like cheering up and down in the pew. Scott was more like, relax, Catherine, it's going to be okay. <laughs> He's going to get to receive so. it tomorrow too. I love it. Yes. I love it. Well, and then for a while, you know, we count like this is my 13th, you know, first communion. <laughs> this is my 16th. So for a while they count, which um, which I really love. Yeah. Yeah. As they get older, you, you know, you want to keep that joy. You want to keep that excitement, even though it becomes very rote and, and repetitive in a good way. How, how did you keep that alive? It's a marathon, Katie, just week after week, when you're in the pews, little things like pointing to the Eucharist during the consecration Mm -hmm. and saying to your children, that's Jesus up there. You know, let's stay focused there. It's just it's just little things like that that you just continue to have to do. We get complacent, I think, quite often. You said, you know, we just go through the the, the motions week after week. But I think as a parent, there is just an amazing obligation to pass on the faith mm-hmm. and certainly in the Eucharist. So it's just this constant week after week reminding our kids, got to go to adoration. You got to talk about Jesus in the Eucharist. You got to point them to that wherever you are. You know, even things like my own tradition that I talk about my kids, this is something I learned years ago from a, a friend that said, at the moment of the epiclesis is where you should be laying down your most desired prayer and mm-hmm. request to God at that moment. And Mm -hmm. telling our kids that, I think it's important that we tell them those stories, that they know that mom and dad are thinking about these things too. So Mm -hmm. it's just this constant awareness that you have to keep in front of your children week after week. Otherwise, it does become just something like, I'm going to go to mass, do my thing, collect Jesus and go on about my week. And you got to stay on it. Yeah. And I'd say maybe from my Protestant days, my kids are required to look nice when they go to mass, like... (laughs) No soccer uniforms. And I'm not shaming anyone that does that because sometimes like yes. showing up matters. Yeah. But um, but I said, if you have the time, I want you to look your best when you go to Mass. 
And also, Katie, I mean, in addition to the foundation of laying it, I think we keep trying to give our kids opportunities for encounter. Mm. You know, sometimes that's retreats. Sometimes that's listening to YouTube videos of people that I know have great things to say. But but I think is if you keep making the invitation for your kids to have an encounter, when they have an encounter, they start to build a relationship. Mm-hmm. And that, again, goes back to that foundation of just, you just keep offering it. Like, if I want someone to like Dr. Pepper, I just keep offering them Dr. Pepper <laughs> and eventually they fall in love. <laughs> so it's the same thing with the Eucharist. I think if you keep... I, I just compared Jesus to Dr. Pepper. It's I didn't fine. mean to do it's that. Fine. I'm sorry. Every time I drink a Dr. Pepper, I think about you. It's not all Thank that you. often, but every time I think about you. <laughs> I'm so honored. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, these these opportunities for encounter can change their life. Yeah. And sometimes they are big things, like maybe it's a big, you know, diocesan youth retreat. But sometimes it's a small thing, like maybe it's just their confirmation sponsor and an opportunity for them to open up a conversation happens and they sit in that conversation and learn a lot about their faith. So I think continuing to put people and spaces and places in front of them Mm -hmm. and making the invitation and then letting them in their own free will decide how they're going to build that relationship, which that's a whole other conversation in parenthood. And and I hope that they see us pray for them, you know, in mass and in other places too. Yeah. I I, I love that point of they have to, they have to see that it's something that matters to you too. I mean, it's kind of by osmosis. Rose's school, they do adoration every week. And I like realized, like, I know that they do this, and I just ask her, like, how's adoration? And, like, her answer every time is going to be fine or good. She's a five-year-old, and she's got a good vocabulary, but, like, there's only so many things that you can say about the holy hour that you're making with your 25 other classmates. So a few weeks ago, I asked her, what did you pray about in adoration? And she just kind of, like, looked off, and she said, well, I prayed, I prayed for you, and I prayed for the world. And then there's kind of another pause, and she's like, I prayed for my dog. And I was like, you mean, like, our oh. dog? Like, she never had called him my dog before, but there was just this— like making them think about that encounter, even at five, you mentioned teenagers, like hopefully that's something that establishes some core memories. You've got older kids too, older kids who have free will, older kids who make decisions, who are discerning. How do you grow that from, okay, second grade, you're receiving first communion, you're excited about it because you're still very little. And then you hit like 13, 14. Sometimes life is tough. Sometimes there are bullies. Sometimes there's these massive decisions that have to be made. How do you navigate the Eucharist in those waters and let the Eucharist, I guess, navigate you through those waters? Well, I think we've always encouraged our kids to have a ministry in the church. I want them to see that church is a place of respite for them. Mm-hmm. That if they are, in fact, when our older ones will call and they have a challenge or a problem, I'll be like, have you talked to God about that? <laughs> and I want my kids to start to see that that the church is where we go, both the physical place mm-hmm. and the community is where you go for respite, where you go for support. And so I think that we've encouraged our kids to do that. I mean, there are so many places that your kids have opportunities to rebel and question. And I've always said I do confirmation prep and I'm like, a curious kid is a good thing. Mm. If they are challenging you and if they are asking you questions, that means that they are curious and they want to know. Don't dumb it down for them and tell them the truth. And then they may stray. In fact, they probably will. But like Scott said, you keep you keep making the invitation, you keep laying the foundation. As our priest often reminds us, the hard wiring is there. Mm. You did the hard wiring and eventually they'll circle back. And it may take years or decades, but I think that we have this desire that we must graduate these perfect Catholic kids. And if they stray somehow, we did it wrong. And I'd say every family has a prodigal. You know, everybody everybody struggles in their faith. And I don't think that we should be afraid of that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that hard though? Like holding on to that and saying that, but like they both laughed everybody in the audio world. It is absolutely really hard. What is that 
Like, let's get into the practicals of that. Because I've, I, I mean, again, full disclosure, I've been in your home. I've watched your kids. I've seen them. They're cool. Like, I'll never forget when Will walked up to me the first time. He's like, I think you know my mom. And I was like, I do. I know your mom from Instagram. And then I also knew his English teacher. So there was like multiple levels of yeah. connection with your oldest child. And then like watched your kids the in office, the home. Katie. Don't forget you had the office connection. Oh, that's oh my true. Gosh, the that office was, connection. I can't forget that. Yeah, and then, that, of course, like that, mutual that love. That you of, the coolest person I, I'm ever. The cool, uh, I'm the cool one. I'm the cool one. I'll never forget when Tommy, like, asked your son, where do you get your news? And, like, all of a sudden is having this deep dive conversation about TikTok algorithms. And I got back into the car with him and was like, you can't parent every teenager that you, you can't minister to every kid that you meet. I love it. We're just having breakfast. But it's nice to hear and it's, we need to hear it. But then, like, there's going to come the day when the child looks at you and says like, I don't want to go to mass or nope, mm -hmm. I don't believe in this anymore. Like how, yes, it's good that they're questioning. And yes, it's like, okay, I'm not just supposed to create these little perfect Catholic army men that go out into the world and can spout out apologetics. Like I want to build a relationship at the end of the night when it's just Catherine and Scott and you're thinking about, okay, how do we do today? Or like, what do we need to tackle tomorrow? How does, how does your Eucharistic devotion help you through that? Yeah, that's a good question. Good one. I, I think one of the things that I would say for us, I want to go back to your previous question, which I think will lead into this, mm -hmm. which is setting the strong foundation for parents of multiple children. The first child is the hardest. Oh, yeah. Because you set everything, every expectation, every foundational moment. So when the second or third or fourth or fifth sixth comes along, when they ask the question like, do I have to go to youth group? It's like, yeah, because <laughs> everybody else did. <laughs> so we've precedent. <laughs> so I think, I think, yeah. So we've set the bar that that's going to be the case. But I think we're very blessed in that regard that we've just been very open parents talking about issues. We had a we had a major issue come up the other day at, at at the dinner table, which I think is one of the things that we would probably say to any parent out there: if you possibly can have dinner together mm -hmm. every night. We know there are situations where you can't do it, but having dinner together, having those dinner table conversations have been great. There was a big issue that kind of came up and I told my my daughter, Claire, I said, Claire, go get the catechism. And we're sitting there at the table. We're opening up the catechism. I'm like, okay, right here. This is what the church holds to be true on this issue. So let's let's talk about that. So I think that helps a lot that mm -hmm. we're open to that. And just frankly for us, youth ministry, youth programs, Going to retreats where there's there's adoration for Catherine and I, it was a major experience in the early part of our marriage of being exposed to a Steubenville retreat when we lived in Indiana. You talk about something I think that changed the trajectory of our marriage. Mm -hmm. That that was a moment that I would point to from that no, standpoint. Absolutely. So I think it's just little moments, Katie, throughout your lifetime, throughout your children's lifetime of just constantly being aware of how Jesus plays his part mm -hmm. in your life and reminding your kids about that thing like, we love you. We're grateful for you. You know, did you talk to Jesus today? Mm -hmm. so did you say your prayers? I mean, really just constantly being available and around and having these conversations. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the key thing for us. And we fail miserably at that several days a month. <laughs> But you keep getting up and you keep going the next day and you keep inviting your children, you keep inviting your family into that. Yeah. And I'd say, too, I've spent a decent amount of time crying in my closet on my knees, begging Jesus to fix it. Yeah. And I think I want my kids to know that he is not this person that you go to, that you make a request and mm -hmm. he gives you a response, that it's about relationship. And so 
on your hardest days, it's okay to cuss them out in your closet and be like, Jesus, this is not the this is not what I intended for my kid. Mm-hmm. And always in those moments, I think God has led both Scott and I to other parents who are maybe a little bit further down the road, or maybe they're in a similar situation. And we call them and we say, How did you do this? What are you doing? And that's when that foundation of community matters because we are all going to go through peaks and valleys in our parenthood and certainly with our children. And I've found that the best thing that I can do for my kids is pray for them and and meaningfully, whether they see it or not, I pray for them every day. And secondly, that we pray that God puts people in their lives that they will listen to because we know that the older that they get, their circle of influence changes. And I, I pray for those people that please God send them that person that they're going to listen to and that they're going to look up to. And and he delivers. Now, whether they always listen or not, but God always delivers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think we have a real relationship with Jesus. I'm hoping that we're teaching our kids yeah. the same. Yeah. Having met them, I, I think you, you have. <laughs> um, and you are. <laughs> Thank you. The folks that might be listening to this right now, we've been asking everyone the same question, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to pitch it to you in this way. You get 60 seconds between the two of you, two minutes to chat with a Catholic family. Maybe they've fallen away. Maybe they've just like started to, you know, show some interest. They could be deeply, deeply devoted and, and faithful. You get to pick like the circumstance, but you're talking to a family about the Eucharist and you get a couple minutes to really impress something upon them. What is that, that nugget of wisdom, that elevator pitch to help them understand the Eucharist in the context of their family? Well, I think as my lovely bride just elbows me and says, you go. Uh, <laughs> I, I think what I would say to someone today is certainly in a family environment. 2000 years ago, Jesus came from a family and he created another family when he chose the disciples to be around him. Mm-hmm. And there's something special and unique that is not replicated that I'm aware of anywhere else in the history that we are even aware of is the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper. That was a moment of self-giving, sacrificial love given by a man who was fully God, fully human, Mm -hmm. as we know and, and choose to believe. So the Eucharist, to me, has such deep, deep history and roots in the world. Why would we not choose to go and receive Jesus as often and as much as we can, and to be around that in the tabernacle in Eucharistic adoration. So to me, it's it goes back to family. Jesus came from a family, mm-hmm. and he created an extended family when he chose the disciples, and he gave them the great gift of the Eucharist when he instituted that at the Last Supper. It's extraordinary and so, so important to the world and the culture that we live in today. Mm-hmm. Good job. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Would, uh, I yield the, bar the rest high. of my time to you, my love. You lovely. set the bar high. <laughs> so I would I would extend that and say also part of that is teaching our kids about relationship. Mm-hmm. I had a youth minister tell me one time, he said, when you go to adoration, imagine Jesus just sitting on the altar, swinging his feet, <laughs> looking at you. And what would you say to him? And so I think in some periods of real desolation, it was adoration that consoled me. And I, I can't help but think it wasn't just this wafer of bread that was up there that was consoling me. It was the real presence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I think my my hope is, is that when parents see 
the Eucharist and they say, how do we help our kids fall in love with Jesus and how do we help them see the real presence? I think have them spend some time in the real presence and see how it changes them. And it might take a few weeks. It might take a few months. Maybe it's decades or years. But I think the real presence, it's it's real. I've seen people transformed in the real presence of them, whether mm-hmm. it's in a Eucharistic procession. I think that the story in the Bible where they talk about the hemorrhaging woman and she just touches the veil and it's her faith that heals her very much the same as we sit in that adoration chapel or in that praise and worship space, that his presence really can heal you if you just open up your heart enough to let him in. Mm-hmm. And so my hope is, is that people will start to see the Eucharist not just as something that they receive, but as an invitation into relationship. Mm. So good. So good. I'm so excited that I know you guys. Like, it's just so nice to like see our future. <laughs> like a little Aww. a little ahead down the way. It's always good to have good couple friends that can, can give those insights. Where can folks follow you guys? And Catherine, you have a podcast. Tell us about your podcast. I do. Yeah. The podcast is over at Hand to Hold. It's called NICU Babies Parent Support. So it's for NICU mom, dads, and caregivers who are either getting ready for a NICU stay there now, or maybe they're years past. So we invite guests from all places and spaces. I'm loving it. And then I'm over on social media at Catherine Whitaker TX and then my website. Does anyone do that anymore? It's just CatherineWhitaker.net, I think. I don't even know. I should know that. Just find me on social media, but yeah. Yeah, and you can probably find me on Instagram mostly at ScottWhitaker95. So if you want to know what it's like to work for the church and all the ins and outs of that, Follow along on me and I'll show you around. Awesome. Or if you love barbecue or national parks, that he's your guy. That's true. That's true. We need some barbecue recommendations for when we, we come to Austin. Thank you guys so oh, much. We got a, li- we got a we got list. list. We got, got, got a list going. Awesome. Thank y'all for taking the time. Thank you, Katie. I think it's so important, so significant to really ask ourselves a, a very simple but maybe challenging question. Is the Eucharist something that we think about after Sunday Mass is over? Is Jesus in the Eucharist present to us all the time? Because we become these living tabernacles, these vessels that are able to give a profound witness and hopefully a a witness to joy of Jesus who gives himself to us in this incredible way. I know that sometimes I forget that because life gets busy and, and things get hard and there's lots of stuff to do and there's places to go and mass is another thing on the list and Jesus and the Eucharist is, yeah, certainly this thing that I believe but maybe doesn't completely and totally recalibrate every second of my life because who has time for that? And yet I go back to that phrase of Mother Teresa, celebrate Mass like it's your first, last, and only Mass. That we take it for granted sometimes because I don't think we remember the wonder and awe of maybe the first time that we received Jesus, of perhaps the last time that we'll ever receive Jesus, maybe if this was the only time that we would ever get to receive Jesus. That there's something profound about keeping in perspective the great gift of the Eucharist, how it transforms our communities, how it guides us to understand how to live, how it is the source of revival and renewal in our lives day by day, how we're called to adore Jesus in new ways and what it means to bring Jesus into our homes. So many of our conversations this season have been, I hope, snapshots for you of the different lives of individuals completely and totally transformed by an encounter with the Eucharist Not as if it's some idolized, this is the perfect Catholic life, live like this style of information, but instead just stories of encounter, moments of 
truth shared with you so that you can find those moments in your own life, so that those encounters perhaps can increase in your own life, that this is what renewal and revival is all about. I wanted to tell you, if this series has been good for you, if you've enjoyed these conversations, if you've benefited in some way from what we've created in the Ave Explorers podcast, I think you'd really appreciate some of the amazing Eucharistic resources that Ave Maria Press has published. A couple of weeks ago, we heard from Dr. Tim O'Malley of the McGrath Institute for Church Life, and he has an incredible couple of books, actually, about the Eucharist that you can purchase for dirt cheap for your parish community, for your family, for your Bible study, for your friends. Books set at an affordable price, and this isn't just a, a commercial because I, I want to sell books, but but really a book that I think is incredibly important for communities, for parishes to read and to work on, that the work of revival starts in our hearts, grows in our homes, and expands to our communities. And here's a wonderful resource. We have it linked down in the show notes, and it's on the Ave Explorers page on our Ave Maria Press website that could really help take all of this one step further. We're so grateful that you spent some time with us today. We have some amazing episodes coming up with more of our Eucharistic preachers, some incredible conversations with our guests. We hope that you ring the bell and follow and subscribe to our show wherever you listen to your podcast. Give it a rating and a review if you'd like. Know, of course, that we're so grateful that you spent this time with us today. Listening to these conversations, say a prayer for little Gianna as she begins her Eucharistic journey in life. And thanks for being with us today on Ave Explores. All of our episodes this season include a little bit of a bonus here at the end. And so today we got to sit down with one of our Eucharistic preachers for the Eucharistic Revival, Father Tim Anastos, talking about how to share about the Eucharist and share about the faith, really, especially with young adults and college students, but primarily to young people. So I hope you enjoyed this quick conversation we got to have with Father Tim. Father Tim, welcome to Ave Explorers. Hey, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah. I feel like I see you on my phone a lot because you are the face of Real <laughs> Homilies, R-E-E-L, for folks who might not watch Reels. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, what you do. Yeah, so my name is Father Tim Anastas. I'm a priest and chaplain here in the Archdiocese of Chicago. I am at the University of Illinois, Chicago, UIC, at the Newman Center here. I've been here for two years now. I've been a priest for five years, and it's been amazing. And yeah, I guess I just wanted to meet a lot of my college kids where they were at when they have less than 30 seconds of an attention span. And <laughs> I wanted to just like share the faith and share homilies and, and, and the gospels in a very concise, but engaging way. And so mm -hmm. I started these real homilies with spirit juice and yeah, apparently people, people more than my mom listened to them. So it's great. <laughs> They're always nice. You got mom and you got other folks. I'm yeah, still convinced of most of my podcasts are only being downloaded by my immediate family. I know that's not true, but right. that's just like stuck in my head forever. That's so how you, I feel too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have these college kids, you have people in parishes, and it's almost kind of like, a, do you become captive to the audience that you have? Or do you just kind of like hold on to this idea of, oh, the truth is the truth and I'll share it and we'll see how it hits. Like you decided to adapt to meet them where they were at. Tell me how you kind of figured out the truth can be the truth, but I, I need to say it in a way that people can understand. What was that process like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank, great question. And I, I don't get that question a lot. And it's <laughs> it's really beautiful because it shows your heart and your desire to meet people where they are, but not 
to dissolve any of the truth or anything. So yeah, I commend you on that. And I, I think a lot of it was just the influence that Fulton Sheen, Bishop mm-hmm. Barron had over me, just this, this idea that I can know the faith through the good and the true and the beautiful. Mm-hmm. And with college kids, they experience the good, the true and the beautiful, the bad, the ugly, and not so beautiful all the time. <laughs> but when they understand, when they see beauty and goodness, like within mm-hmm. TV shows or movies or even video games, they grow closer to God. And so therefore, like the truth is always good. Jesus is always good and true and beautiful. And so I can lead them in that way mm-hmm. through, through modern stuff, through modern media. So, yeah. Do you use a lot of analogies or like trying to make connections to things that they've experienced in the day to day? Like what does Absolutely. that process kind of look like? Yeah. Yeah. The process is, so one of the great things about the Newman Center here at UIC is we have a coffee shop called Core Coffee, C-O-R, oh, so nice. the Latin for the heart. Best coffee on campus. We have students who barista. I even learned how to barista, like nice. making the, like the latte art and everything. But it's a place where tons of students come and they just, they hang out, they talk about their lives. And so being in that kind of setting with the students, I'm able just to see what they like and what they love and what they're attracted to. Currently I'm watching, like for example, I've been talking with a lot of students and here in the city, especially, they're obsessed with anime. Like that mm. has become a really popular, not, not a niche thing. Everyone just loves anime now. And so I've started watching some anime, like a, a thing called Demon Slayer on Netflix. And there's a lot of Christian and beautiful themes within that TV show. And just to share the truth of Jesus Christ through the, through Demon Slayer is yeah. really beautiful. Like the Lord uses anything. It's awesome. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. I was just, I was with some missionary, net missionaries a week ago. Oh, nice. Um, and they were talking about an anime show. Like I would talk about Ted Lasso. And I was like, huh, right. like, I thought that was a very niche thing, but you guys are sharing plot points and talking about characters. Like one guy, this was his third time watching it because he was watching it with a new group of friends is new to me. Right. But isn't that funny? Like entertainment and the way that we consume stuff, it moves quick. And yet here we are, we believe in an eternal truth that doesn't change. When you're explaining, say, the Eucharist, which is what this whole season's about, what is often your approach? Let's say you've got a student who comes to you and they like never heard anything about Catholicism or a student that fell away or like a little kid. I mean, my kids know you right. from the Spirit Juice Juice Box series mm-hmm. where you're talking about faith. How do you as a priest discern what to say when on these topics that are often very big and what do you hope eventually gets translated? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think one big thing and one beautiful thing that I always see within, especially these college kids and young people, even high schoolers is like a desire for intimacy, a desire that they've never wanted before or never really knew, but is always in their heart. And it's a desire to be alive that you walk around campus or maybe you've seen it with your kids, like their necks are down in front of their hand, you know, in their hands is their phone. Maybe their hood is up like this, just almost like a zombie person in front of you. And they're experiencing that all day, like living mm-hmm. this half life. And so this des- there's this deep down desire in all these college kids that they just want to be more alive. And when they come closer to the truth, And when they become more intimate with the Lord, that just makes them more alive. So I begin there with the things that are causing them fear and anxiety 
Mm. And then giving them the truth of Jesus Christ, who is the one who dissolves all fear and anxiety. And so with the Eucharist, especially the Eucharist, it literally is intimacy. It's the heart of Jesus and sharing with them, like the Eucharist reveals that Jesus actually wants to be really close to you. And Mm -hmm. he actually likes you. That's one thing that's been resonating this year, especially is that Jesus actually likes you. You know, we hear all the time in religious ed and, you know, wherever, like Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, which Mm -hmm. is good and amazing. And we need to hear that. And it's true, but Jesus actually likes you. He Mm -hmm. likes being around you and he likes everything about you. Even the things that you do not like about yourself. He likes those things and he delights in those things. That has really been resonating as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point, especially with like little kids. You know, I've got a five and a two-year-old. And so explaining the Eucharist, if I jump straight to transubstantiation or right, right. that Jesus's blood, I get weird questions, weird looks, and a scared two-year-old who doesn't understand why we're talking about blood and asks for a Band-Aid. But yeah. if I talk about Jesus likes you the same way you like TV shows or you like ice cream, but like his like for you isn't going to fade and isn't a fad. Now I've, I've maybe tapped into something that they can actually relate to and understand What do you say to people who they have a deep love of the Eucharist? They're at mass every Sunday. They're bringing their kids, but they, they don't know how to broach those topics, especially with maybe their disaffiliated young adult children or their high school teens who are fighting, waking up to go to mass on Sunday or who think Eucharistic adoration is just silly. Like what's your word of encouragement to those folks to broach this topic, to try to encourage deeper faith? Right. First of all, is to continue to encourage them that their desire is there. And that's awesome. Second thing that I've seen that has been super effective and Katie, I love you and you're amazing, but it's the husband and the father. If they see the husband and the father, like kneeling at mass, maybe Mm -hmm. taking some moments even after mass to be close to the Lord and showing that that prayer is really, really important to him, man, that, that can just change a whole culture of, of children, of sons and daughters. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I definitely noticed. Yeah, that witness is really powerful, yeah. And so that witness of the husband and father being being that can be really effective as well as just, I guess, your own witness and, and mm-hmm. even just the change of your demeanor within Mass mm-hmm. and when you pray, bringing your kids to adoration is huge. One of my buddies just shared a story that I didn't know. One of the reasons why he is a priest is because his mom and dad went to adoration like every day when they were pregnant with him believes that's a huge, one of the reasons why, you know, he's, he was drawn to the priesthood, um, just through that radiating love of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we believe that's really Jesus, then it's not silly to just swing by. It's not silly to bring it up in conversation. It's, it's not, I mean, we, every day when we drive past, we have to drive right past the Catholic church to get on the interstate to go to school and we'll say, hi, Jesus. And the other day I forgot to say it. And my daughter in the back, she was like, are you mad at Jesus? And I was like, oh my gosh, like I forgot that I was distracted by something. I was, I was looking at the map because we weren't headed to school. We were headed somewhere else. And, you know, it's just part of our family culture now. Well, we drive past the church. We say hi to Jesus. When I forget, I get called out by the kids. That's just how you slowly build these things. Father, we are asking everybody a question to kind of wrap up our conversations this season. Everyone's been asked. Everybody's answers have been different, which is really cool. You are in an elevator with someone. You get to pick who that person is for 60 seconds and you get to tell them something about the Eucharist. Who are you in the elevator with? What's like their status of faith and what are you going to tell them about the Eucharist? Yeah. Honestly, the first thing that flashed in my mind is a 
young man around maybe freshman in college or like a senior in high school who is secretly never told anyone that he's struggling with temptations of lust, but also mm-hmm. like fear and anxiety. And in the elevator, just sharing with him how like in college, it was in adoration and it was through the Eucharist going to the Lord and recognizing his presence and being close to him where I had similar struggles in, in college. And the more and more I got close to Jesus and the Eucharist, the more and more that fear, that anxiety, those temptations just dissolved, knowing mm-hmm. that I was a son and I never had to prove anything to him. But it was through that power of the Eucharist, through, yeah, that radiating love of Christ. And mm-hmm. so get close to the Lord in the Eucharist and you will be fully alive. There won't be yeah. anything holding you back. Ah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Father, where can we follow you on social media? Where can we watch these real homilies? Yeah, so you can go to Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube, and you can go to Spirit Juice. Just, yeah, type in Spirit Juice. You can subscribe to it. And every Saturday or Sunday, a reel comes out for the homily for that, that Sunday. You can also check out the UIC Newman Center, JP2 Newman to follow the stuff that is going on with the young church here in Chicago. (laughs) Awesome. Father, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Katie. This was a blast. Like Father Tim said, you can check him out over on the Spirit Juice Instagram feed, as well as the website of his. We have links down in the show notes. Great insights, really exciting stuff that he's doing up in Illinois, as well as being able to share with all of us today. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.